Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and today I'm going to be doing a first look at some review copies I received from Lamentations of the Flame Princess. So a call was kindly put out a short while ago asking if anyone was interested in review copies of the latest books coming out for Lamentations of the Flame Princess. As a big fan of the game, I of course said yes, and a short while ago a big box of books that are digest size, the one true size for roleplay books of course, turned up in the post. Now I've been a bit busy over the last week so I haven't really had a chance to delve into them, and I will be doing more detailed reviews later on, but I didn't want to keep you guys waiting, so I thought what I'll do is I'll do a quick episode where I page through them quickly and give you my initial impressions, and then the individual sort of full reviews will follow on later. So without further ado, let's get into it. So the first of these books is titled Galileo 2 Judgment Day by Bradley Anua. Apologies if I've got the name wrong. And the cover features a strange sort of clockwork Terminator-esque man on it. Now, if you can pass over a book with a title like Galileo 2, Judgment Day, you are a far better person than me. The description on the back describes it as a double shot of horror in the vein of slasher films with high body counts. Run for your life through a dark forest alongside Galileo or explore a deadly mansion filled with sweet loot and blood-splattering traps. Each features the automaton, a mechanical assassin that runs like a marionette and mangles like a wrestler. Now, I've actually read through this one in a little more detail. It was the first one I got before I was recently away for a while. And it pretty much deals with Galileo mocking the church and the Pope as a punishment for him, setting him in his mansion under house arrest and putting this clockwork man there to torment him. And it basically deals with Galileo trying to escape the player characters running into him and they have a choice if they can either help him escape, ignore him, but knowing he's outside of his mansion, delve into it and try and recover some of his fantastical invention, invention sorry, and knowledge. There are optional chase rules and the like in it because he's always being pursued by this mechanical sort of Terminator that never tires but occasionally has to recharge, giving him a few moments breather or a chance to get a little ahead of it before he sets off again and there are other various shady characters involved in it you know it's going to try and fence some of the goods you've looted there is a lovely set of maps of the villa il gianello i'm probably pronouncing that wrong the jewel villa which is where Galileo is under house arrest, with more sort of your dungeon style of location descriptions there. We get a number of what-ifs, you know, what if the characters run back home to hide from the automaton, or they flee from Arsetri after the automaton awakes and chases them, to what if the player characters all run away in a random direction. And there's rules and procedures for determining who the automaton is likely to pursue at any given moment, and how quickly it pursues them which is, I think is pretty cool. And then we get a series of alternate endings and a description of the various NPCs, including their stats and the automaton, who has various different components and can be broken down and perhaps sold off by enterprising NPCs. I think this looks really cool. 
and the author tells us that it's inspired by Galileo's middle finger, which is on display at the Museo Galileo in Florence, Italy. Saints and martyrs, you know, they are often honoured in this way. And when James Raggy posted an open call for submissions, he decided to try and write this book and sort of melded ideas unashamedly and quite rightly so from the Terminator and John Connor's flight from the Terminator, but translated into the the sort of weird semi-Renaissance setting of Lamentations. And this idea of Galileo popped up in the mind and melded those two ideas together. And I think it's a great-looking little mashup of different inspirations. Besides, you've got to love a Renaissance Terminator. The next book we have is called Temple of the Worm, W-U-R-M. And it has a strange cover which appears to show two adventurers running through a cave system maybe where everything's melting there's a couple of sort of dali-esque clocks melting and even people are people become two-dimensional and just sort of draped over things like discarded garments even the cave ceiling seems to be melting and puts me in a bit of a mind of the house of wax or those old horror films with vincent price in the description on the back says death erupts from a realm beyond the senses threatening to call the final remnants of an alien race heretics practice forbidden rites in a desperate attempt to stave off the creeping doom shadows take on a life of their own and are quickly sundered lost forever under the edge of a blade that sounds pretty cool to me i'm not gonna lie so let's have a quick flick through this so we're told in the introduction that it was inspired by a couple of classic pieces of literature the first being Flatland, a romance of many dimensions, which is a story I've read and it posits the idea of how would creatures from a two-dimensional uh, sort of space interact with creatures capable of working and perceiving the third dimension and how they could only ever perceive the part of the three-dimensional creature that intersected with their reality. It's quite a dry book because it's based around sort of mathematics and that sort of ideas, but it is very interesting to read. We're told this adventure is designed with a novice referee in mind, but there should be enough material in here for the referee to run the adventure as written. There are prompts that sort of guide them to create more content. And I think that's a really cool thing, you know, giving them a basic thing where you're like, right, this is simple to run, you know, you can just crack on with that book. You know, if you want to take it a bit further, here's a few extra ideas. The background information deals with the Arsindians, a race of two-dimensional creatures that strongly resemble jellyfish, yet they live within the cracks of the earth. And that sets me in mind of the old uh, Hounds of Tindalos from the Mythos, you know, where they inhabit the angles of time, whatever that's supposed to mean. I don't think it's mentioned in any other Mythos stories, but it's still a cool image. We get some details of those, and they communicate with flashes of polarised light, typically only visible along their current plane of existence. And that does remind me very much of Flatworld. We get some stats for them. We get some Knowledge Seeker spells, and we're told that all the adult Knowledge Seekers are magic users. They freely share what arcane knowledge they have amongst themselves, so this seems like it's some sort of cult or organisation. And all of these spells seem to be roughly based around the idea of translating or transforming different dimensions. We've got add and remove dimension, shadowed and shadow to flesh, and a few other spells, which are more normal spells, but there's a few tweaks to describe how the organisation can use it. We then get details on the flatworms. 
who are a deadly predator species that have hunted the Arsindians to near extinction. One such creature has infiltrated its prey's final refuge, i.e. your campaign world, and they've been desperately seeking some way to kill it. We got some stats for those as well, and it a particularly unpleasant cartoonish-like drawing on page 10, which makes them look a little bit grim, but I'm sure that's the idea, because they are, after all, the baddies or the monsters of the piece, it seems, on this initial read-through. We get some notes on dimensionality of how these different dimensions of creatures can interact with each other. And then we get a list of encounters, which tells us at the start of the adventure there are 34 adult knowledge seekers, 44 adult keepers of tradition, and 22 adult competitors left in the temple. So it seems like these keepers of tradition and knowledge are actually these Arsindians as we go through it. The flatworm is obviously attempting to hunt them down. We get a random encounter chart, and we get a category explanation and example encounters, which just goes into more detail about the sort of thing you're going to be facing, you know, like time-displaced humans, burrowing creatures, two-dimensional creatures, where the Arsindians have been experimenting on three-dimensional animals, removing dimensions from them. And we get some stats for a flat rat swarm, which could be particularly nasty. I mean, after all, if they can slide straight under a door, you know, it's going to be difficult to get away from them. We've got weird experimentational victims, other-dimensional beings, young Arsindians, afflicted Arsindians, where some of them have got various maladies and problems from experimenting and dabbling in forbidden knowledge and various other sort of creatures described. We have a section called Getting the Player Characters Involved, which I always think is a useful thing, particularly for these adventures where you're setting it as being suitable for novice GMs. We then get the, the sort of dungeon part of it, which is the lake and the temple entrance, with a lovely map on there. I'm just going to see if I can see who actually did the cartography. Oh, no surprise, it's Glen Seal. I thought I recognised that signature style there. You can't beat a bit of Glen Seal cartography. We get area descriptions and features of note for the temple complex, along with traps and referees notes. The referees notes are all in nice, easy to understand bullet points, which I think would be great if you were just trying to run this from the book, especially as a novice GM, because all the stuff you need is in the place where you need it to be. And then finally, we get a few quick reference sheets, which sums up the non-player characters and the creatures in order of their appearance within the module. And again, I think that'd be a great boon for the novice GM using it, but also for more experienced GMs. It's not difficult to lose your place when you're trying to juggle a million different things during a session. So having these reference sheets is really handy, regardless of your level of experience. Next up, we have a title, and this is the first book I saw when I looked in the box, and it made me laugh out loud, which isn't a very easy thing to do just for a book title. But this one's called Winnie the Shit by K.M. Green. And I was laughing for a good few minutes after I read that. And it says, Meet Winnie the Shit, the world's least favourite bear, an utter bastard of an Ursus and his animal supremacist chums. Deep in the Sussex 500-acre wood lives a community of animal-man hybrids gathering an army to supplant humanity as masters of the earth. So again, it's doing what Lamentations of the Flame Princess, in my opinion, does best. It's taking a, a well-loved 
and now usefully public domain trope and sort of flipping it on its head and giving it a whole Lamentations weird twist, which I love. The first one seems to start with a, a sort of short story, which is, I suppose, it makes sense for, you know, you do, you're riffing on Winnie the Pooh, but I, I've got to admit, I sort of skimmed over that. We get a, a backstory, which the, the author describes as a turgid backstory and wisely, in my opinion, keeps to like a couple of paragraphs. And it's basically about a sorcerer who decided that humanity was too sick to survive because, you know, look around at the world around you and decided to create an uplifted race of human animal hybrids, the new man who would replace humanity. So I'm getting sort of high evolutionary Dr. Moreau vibes sort of going on there. Again, we get a how to get involved where it tells you how the player characters can be brought into it. Perhaps they know this sorcerer, Alexandra Moreau. Again, that Dr. Moreau influence coming through. Perhaps they've heard of his special interests. They might have heard information on the grapevine. A magic user down in Sussex has paid to have a live bear bought in. Or it says if they've been through the Green Messiah book, a book that I reviewed previously for Lamentations, they might have encountered John Dee's Man in Black. And if you've not seen Green Messiah, go and check that out. It's a great thing. And there's about four or five other different ways you can get them involved. And as I've just said, I love to see this. We then get a how do I run this thing section where we're talking about the main factions being the new man, Moreau and Sir William Cash. Within these groups, there are sometimes different goals and individuals don't belong to any of the parties. It gives you individual profiles later on, but it gives you a quick summary at the start of who they are. So the new men want to create more of themselves, wrest dominance from humanity. Uh, the sorcerer wants to lead. Uh, Edward wants to lead as well, but only if it lets him lounge about, eat, drink, and let someone else do the work. Trespassers want to lead, but only if they can do it while staying out of trouble. Rabbit is on board with the new man's mission, but really does love treasure quite a lot. The sorcerer Moreau wants to escape, disappear, and start his experiment anew. And Cash wants to complete his mission, but would prefer to f fail and survive to explain to his boss what went wrong, rather than failing and bleeding to death alone in a ditch in Sussex. We get some information on how to deal with the new men who are programmed essentially at a genetic level to hate baseline humans although maybe clever players can negotiate and stay alive for a little bit longer we get some details on how they were created um, we get we're told that some specific new men are described later but you know if a generic hybrids required we get some stats for those and you know a, a random sort of roll table of abilities we're told about Sir William Cash, the man in black, who is an agent of John D's secret occult police, mentioned previously in Green Messiah. And he has a fourfold mission, control the situation and eliminate the threat from the hybrids, capture a living hybrid, recover Moreau's hybrid creation spell and any notes, and also to recruit Moreau if possible. And we get stats for him on that. We then get some information on the Lancaster Great Park, which is a huge park where the the settlements of these new men are going to be located we get a small map in here showing the park itself and again layout by glenn seal cartography by km green which explains why the book looks extremely professional and the visual layout of it is very appealing 
We get a description of the scenic village of Upper Hartfield, a small settlement of about 20 homes in a central cluster with a church and a tavern. All the homes are empty, the signs of a struggle and actual violence in some. So it's clear that something has gone down here. I'm not going to go into the details because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's going to run this. But you get diagrams of a number of different buildings throughout this. And then we go on to the specifics of some of these new men, these hybrids. And we get some cool art showing an owl man and a pig man, which looks pretty cool. We get a, <laughs> a stat block for Christoph Moreau, who is the magician's son, lives in a treehouse built by the new man. The, the new man recognised him as relatively innocent, and that's pretty much kept him alive so far. We get description of Rabbit's house and the tunnels underneath, and the various loot that can be acquired in all of these different areas. There's basically a number of like mini dungeons within this, and I think that's pretty cool as you try and sort of dodge these new men and work out the what created them and interact with their creator, perhaps, and of course the notorious man in black. And there's various bits that riff on the the Winnie the Pooh sort of mythology in inverted commas. Like the gloomy place, which is obviously a sort of Eeyore-inspired place, although I don't think he's in a public domain yet, so he's not mentioned specifically. And then we get Aftermath and New Rewards, where it describes what happens if the new men are allowed to build their army, what happens if it's stopped, what happens if the players make friends with the new man, what happens if Moreau is allowed to disappear and continue his experiments, etc. And we get some new spells and an appendix showing all the NPC stats for quick reference purposes. And then on the final page, there is a lovely drawing of what looks like Winnie the Pooh and Piglet sort of walking into the distance. And there's just a trail of blood snaking out from this otherwise idyllic scene, which I think perfectly sums up the attitude of this book for me. It's a nice little dungeon crawler from what I can see with inspiration taken from a number of different sources and that sort of irreverent tongue-in-cheek sort of attitude that you either love in Lamentation of the Flame Princess or you don't. I personally quite like it. I mean, if I was running that in a long-term campaign, I might tweak it a little bit to fit in with it, but you know, it's pretty inventive and pretty creative. Okay, so we're running on a little bit with this, and I still have a number of different books, some of them quite thin, and one of them extremely thick. We have the Yellow Book of Breckwald, Meanderings of the Mine, Mind, Fecal Lands, A Gift for All of Norway, Black Chamber, and Do Not Accept This Quest. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a separate First Looks episode for these books which will go out at some point in the near future and after that's gone out i'll then start doing individual sort of full reviews for each of these so keep an eye out for that so hope you've enjoyed this episode if you have please subscribe to my Substack where you get emails whenever I put out episodes of the podcast. If you're watching it on YouTube, please like, share and subscribe and all of that good stuff. If you want to get involved in the conversation, tell me what you think about Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Do you love it? Do you hate it? What do you think of the sound of the books I've looked at so far? Then you can drop me a voicemail message on SpeakPipe if you wish. I might even feature you in a future episode. 
or you can email me at oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com or just drop a comment on the YouTube video or the Substack, and I try and reply to as many of those as possible. So until I see you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. Catch you soon.